0: A Light to the Nations is a production of the Ephesus School Network. Suppose that God had made a promise to one of your ancestors that he would make him the father of a multitude of nations with descendants as numerous as the stars of heaven. And what if he made that promise to him when he was 99 years old and his wife was barren? And suppose that same God appeared to you in a dream telling you that he was moving ahead with his plan and he commanded you not to be afraid and assured you that he wouldn't leave you till he had done everything, impossible as it seems, just as he had promised your forefather? What would your response be? Hello, and welcome to episode 12 of A Light to the Nations. I'm your host, Father Fred Shaheen. In chapter 28 of Genesis, Jacob, Abraham's grandson, sees a vision in a dream and hears the voice of the Lord while he's on his way to Mesopotamia. What Jacob does when he wakes from the dream is ominous. He sets up a pillar, anoints it, and identifies the thing he set up with his own hands as the fulfillment of what the Lord promised him. Later in the biblical narrative, David, the shepherd turned king and a descendant of Jacob Israel, will express a similar misunderstanding of the Lord's providence. So if God promises to make me a house, that means I need to supply the plans, the materials, and the labor, and give the orders to have it built, right? Tell us again, Reverend Ron, whose house is it? Let's hear the narrative of Jacob in Mesopotamia in Genesis chapter 28. Now Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head, and he lay down in that place to sleep. Then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, and to the north and the south, and in you and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you, and will keep you wherever you go, and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Then Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put at his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of that city had been Luz previously. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and keep me in this way that I am going, and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on, so that I come back to my father's house in peace, Then the Lord shall be my God, and this stone which I have set as a pillar shall be God's house, and all that you give me I will surely give a tenth to you. That's Genesis chapter 28, verses 10 through 22. We can note here how this text both references an earlier part of Genesis and also anticipates the sin of biblical Israel, Jacob's descendants, later in the story. Here it says that the ladder was set up on the earth and its top reached to heaven. Hearing this, we cannot help but be reminded of the passage in chapter 11, in which the people attempt to build a tower in order to make a name for themselves and to prevent being scattered abroad. In that story, when the Lord comes down to see the tower, he thwarts their plans by confusing their language. They leave off building the tower and become scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. Ironically, the very thing they're building the tower was designed by them to prevent. Literarily, the episode of the Tower of Babel in chapter 11 prepares us for what Jacob does in response to his dream in chapter 28. We hear that when Jacob wakes from his dream... He realizes that indeed the Lord is in this place, and yet he was not aware of it. Afraid, he exclaims that this is none other than the house of God. It then says that Jacob takes the stone that he had used at his head while he slept, and he sets it up as a pillar and anoints it with oil. He then identifies specifically that pillar which he had erected with his own hands as being God's house. And this stone I set as a pillar shall be God's house to me, he says in verse 22. Two things. First, God had promised Abraham, Jacob's grandfather, offspring at a point in his life when there could be no hope for any such thing. And here, in chapter 28, God is reaffirming to Jacob that through him that original promise to Abraham would come to fruition that all the families of the earth would be blessed in him, Jacob, and in his seed. Upon awakening, Jacob is so overcome with fear of the vision that he seems to disregard the words that the Lord spoke to him, as if he hadn't even heard them. Jacob concludes that this place is the house of God, and therefore he needs to erect something permanent. He accomplishes that by setting the stone as a pillar, and he names it Bethel which in Hebrew means house of God. The Lord had spoken to Abraham of human progeny, of flesh and blood endowed with the breath of life by God in the way that only he, the creator of heaven and earth and giver of life, could provide. And this promise was being carried through in Jacob and in his seed. We are reminded again that Abraham was almost 100 years old and that his wife was barren, so this could only come about by the hand of the Lord. In Jacob's dream, the Lord also talks about his seed, this gift of progeny spreading abroad. But contrary to what the Lord says, Jacob resolves to settle, to build something and to name it the house of God. Secondly, it's ironic that Jacob had placed the stone at his head while he slept. Certainly, this wouldn't be the most ideal or comfortable sleeping arrangement, but nevertheless, he was simply relying on what was provided for him. The stone was just there, and he lay down and slept. In the morning after rising and after having seen the vision and heard the words of the Lord, Jacob takes that very thing which embodied his reliance on God's providence and turns it into a pillar structure that he would identify as the house of God, even naming it that. The stone that God in his beneficence provided as a temporary sleeping arrangement, Jacob attempts to refashion with his own hand into something permanent and lasting. This proclivity toward building something with human hands for God, this desire to provide for God, the one who is the sole provider in the scriptural story, looks ahead to what Jacob's descendant, David, would do in wanting to build a temple to house the Ark of the Covenant. Let's hear the text of 2 Samuel chapter seven. Now it came to pass, when the king was dwelling in his house, that the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies all around, that the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells inside tent curtains. Then Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But it happened that night that the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, Would you build a house for me to dwell in? For I have not dwelt in a house since the time I brought the children of Israel up from Egypt, even to this day, but have moved about in a tent and in a tabernacle. Wherever I have moved about with all the children of Israel, have I ever spoken a word to anyone from the tribes of Israel, Whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheepfold, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people, over Israel. And I have been with you wherever you have gone. And have cut off all your enemies from before you, and have made you a great name, like the name of the great men who are on the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, that they may dwell in a place of their own, and move no more. Nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them any more, as previously, since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, and have caused you to rest from all your enemies." Also, the Lord tells you that he will make you a house. That's 2 Samuel verses 1 through 11. There's a literary play here on what is translated as house, which word could also mean household. God is making David a household as in a people to him, with God himself as the sole king slash father, and David as the one who was appointed by God to act as shepherd to his people. The ironic twist is that David vows to build a house for the Lord when it is the Lord who promises that he will make David a house. Hear what Scripture says on this matter through the prophet Isaiah. Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne, and earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build for me? And where is the place of my rest? For all those things my hand has made, and all those things exist... Says the Lord. But on this one I will look, on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit, and who trembles at my word. That's the first two verses of the last chapter, 66, of Isaiah. As in the promise to Abraham, reiterated to Jacob in Genesis chapter 28, the Lord reminds David through Nathan, his prophet, that it is he, the Lord, who has provided everything and who will continue to do so. Here again, verses nine and ten of Second Samuel chapter 7, I have been with you wherever you have gone, and have cut off all your enemies from before you, and have made you a great name, like the name of the great men who are on the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more, nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them any more as previously. In Genesis 28, in Jacob's vision of the Lord, it's striking that there's no instruction to do anything. Rather, the Lord assures Jacob of what he, the Lord, will do for Jacob. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. An exhortation from the Lord to Jacob, do not fear, is included in the Septuagint text, but not in the original Hebrew. Nevertheless, we hear that immediately upon awakening from the dream, Jacob contravenes even that one commandment. So he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven, it says in verse 17. In Jacob's vision, God promises to protect him and to keep him and to bring him back and not to leave him and to deliver on his promise. But Jacob's response is to build something. Moreover, Jacob even identifies the thing that he had set up himself as God's house after arrogantly placing conditions on accepting the Lord as his God. If the Lord will keep me, if he will give me food to eat, If he will bring me back, then he shall be my God, and this stone that I set up as a pillar will be God's house to me. In this story, Jacob's actions are an attempt to turn the tables on God, to build a house of stone for him, even though it is he who assures Jacob that he will provide land and continued providence and protection for him and his seed. Another literary device that looks ahead toward the sin of Judah and Israel is the choice of the word dust here in verse 14 to speak of Jacob's descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth, you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and the south, and in you and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed." Previously, in chapter 15, in his promise to Abraham, the Lord tells him that his seed would be as the stars of heaven, if one could number them, and in chapter 22, this image is revisited, and to it is added that of sand. Blessing, I will bless you, and multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven, and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. That's verse 17. Both the stars of heaven and the sand on the seashore can be understood as positive ways of expressing a great number beyond human calculation. Dust, afar in Hebrew, can express that as well, but also has the connotation of something that can be scattered, which is precisely what will happen to the sons of Israel by the hand of the Lord because of their disobedience. Additionally, dust, afar, reminds us that Adam was formed from dust of the ground, to which he is consigned to return again, also as a consequence of his disregard for God's commandment in Genesis chapter 3. Significantly earlier in chapter 18, Abraham himself acknowledges before the Lord that he is but dust in that awkward, embarrassing back and forth with the Lord in which he attempts to be more righteous Than the only righteous one. So the text here is pointing us toward the eventual sin and scattering by God of his people that he formed through his promise to Abraham, which promise was reiterated and extended through his descendant, Jacob Israel, by whom that people is named. Jacob's focusing on a stone and making it a permanent marker and identifying it as God's house is the mistake that David will repeat later in the story in wanting to build a house of cedar for the Lord, who assured him that he, the Lord, would make him a house. And this is the persistent source of tension in the biblical story. Human beings want to make something permanent and lasting with their own hands, And God repeatedly assures them that he is the only provider of life and security, and the only thing that is permanent and lasting is his word of instruction. Ezekiel, the father of scripture, speaks of God restoring his people, returning them from their scattering and exile. In this new arrangement, God promises to restore the stony hearts of human beings back into flesh, effectively undoing what both Jacob and and David had done by turning God's gift of human progeny into pillars and temples of stone erected by their own hands. Chapter 11 of Ezekiel says, Then I will give them one heart, and I will put a new spirit within them, and take the stony heart out of their flesh, and give them a heart of flesh, that they may walk in my statutes, and keep my commandments, and do them, Then they shall be my people, and I will be their God. Verses 19 and 20. In its theology, the Orthodox Church expresses an understanding of Mary, the Theotokos, as the fulfillment of the ladder of Jacob's dream. In the hymnography, she is called both the heavenly ladder and the gate of heaven. In fact, the text of Genesis 28, verses 10 through 17, is heard at Vespers, on the eve of all four of the major feasts of Mary, as the first of the prescribed readings. And at the Feast of Annunciation, at the liturgy, we hear the following from Luke, chapter 1. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, And will be called the Son of the highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob for ever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Gabriel tells Mary a virgin, the unexpected and seemingly impossible news that she will conceive in her womb and bear a son. And not only to this son will the Lord God give the throne of David, but also he will rule over the house of Jacob. And the angel prefaces all of this with the commandment not to be afraid, assuring her finally that with God nothing will be impossible. Indeed, the church sees Mary's response to the promise made by the Lord to her via Gabriel as not only the fulfillment of Jacob's dream, but also as a corrective to his response. Faithful to the Lord's command, Mary, although she is a virgin, is not afraid. And unlike Jacob, upon hearing the promise made by the Lord, Mary doesn't conclude that she has to do anything, much less build something with her own hands in order for what the Lord said to indeed take place. Mary shows that there is in fact nothing to do Accept, receive the word of the Lord, and trust that it will bear fruit. Then Mary said to her, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. That's verse 39 of chapter 1 of the Gospel of Luke. Well, often in the biblical story do we hear of a character refusing what God has to offer and attempting to redefine it on their own terms, usually in the imagination of their hearts and by the works of their own hands. This is precisely the sin of Jacob in the story of his dream in Genesis 28, which again looks back to the story of the building of the tower in chapter 11 and ahead to David's desire to build for God a house of cedar in 2 Samuel. In the repetitiveness of the biblical story, indeed there is nothing new under the sun. The theology of the Orthodox Church presents Genesis chapter 28 as a type that finds its fulfillment in Luke chapter 1, and the lectionary is precise in what it chooses to present. The selected text used at the Marian feasts includes Jacob's realization that he is in the house of God and at the gate of heaven, but it stops at verse 17, effectively omitting the part in which he places the stone and sets it as a pillar. And this is to reinforce that the only proper response to a seemingly impossible promise from God is not to ask, what can I do to make sure that this happens? but to say simply, let it be, and then trust that it will indeed be according to his word. This concludes episode 12 of A Light to the Nations. I hope you've enjoyed listening, and I look forward to meeting again soon.